Welcome to episode 181 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theatre featuring conversations with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. I want to take a second to tell you about a very important conference coming up. Got Your Back Canada invites all acting teachers to attend their Acting Educators Conference on May 27th and 28th, 2019. Whether you work as part of an institution, as a private coach, or someone who's just interested in pursuing acting education, this conference is your opportunity to meet other passionate and dedicated teachers and learn some new techniques and practices to bring to the classroom. The conference will explore exciting new ideas and tools around anti-oppression, harassment, and mental health. For more information, visit gybaactingeducators.com or search Got Your Back Canada. Let's talk about Today Takes. You know, I love Today Takes. Today Takes is an app and website that offers easy and affordable access to a wide variety of must-see cultural performances, from plays and musicals to dance, opera, comedy, immersive experiences, and beyond. Let's take a look at the Today Takes app and see what they have this week. Oh, there's uh, $20 rush tickets to 887 at Canadian Stage. That's going to be a tough show to get tickets to any other way. So uh, Today Takes is probably your best way to get that. Uh, there are also great prices on the Brothers Size in August, Osage County at Soul Pepper, as well as tickets for the Stratford Festival and so much more. Today Ticks makes ticket buying simple, and you can purchase tickets in less than 30 seconds. Get it on iOS and Android, or go to todaytakes.com. If you want to drop me a line, remember that you can find Stageworthy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website at stageworthypodcast.com. If you want to drop me a line, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram, at PhilRickaby, and my website is philrickaby.com. My guests this week are Miriam Goldstein and Blythe Haynes. Miriam is the artistic director of Edge Productions, and Blythe is artistic director of Gangway Theatre. They joined me to talk about Pregnancy Pact, a musical co-produced by Edge Productions and Gangway Theatre. Pregnancy Pact runs from May 1st to May 19th at the Bravo Academy for the Performing Arts in Toronto. And as a special deal for Stageworthy listeners, you can get 20% off your ticket price when you use the checkout code STAGEWORTHY on checkout at edgeproductions.ca. All right, so mm-hmm. just to, I have, I have Jerga Miriam. Yes, that's And me. Blythe. Blythe, yeah. Yeah, okay. So I'll make sure that I, I have everybody's name correct. Um, and uh, we're going to be talking about the Pregnancy Pact. Mm-hmm. This is a new collaboration between Blythe and I. Okay. Um, Can we talk about, like, we started, by the way, in case, like, you, like I'm, I'm already recording, so. Okay. <laughs> I'll cut it all the I'll cut out all the bullshit. I'm a so. giant dork. <laughs> listen, if any, listen, I'll cut off most of the giant dork stuff. But, oh, no, leave it. Um, listen, because the truth is that if anybody listening to this, they already know that I'm a giant dork. So, <laughs> no, I'm happy to have everybody know. All right, that. all right, fine. We'll leave that part. I in. have not disclosed my dork status. <laughs> no, like, you're a dork in you're a different dork, way. You're, you may, it sounds more like you're a dork adjacent. Yes. Yeah, I mean, she's supportive. Yes, yes, supportive. I like that, nerd adjacent. I mean, although if you get me started like Lord of the Rings or like, you know, uh, or like um, uh, literature in the Mm. 19th century. (laughs) See, that's nerd. That's a different kind. You know what? I love finding out what people nerd out over. That's one of my favorite things. It's like, 
tell me what you nerd out on. Mm-hmm. I'm, like I have, I'm dating profiles and things like that. Yeah. That's what I want to know. Like, what do you nerd that's out your, about? That's right? your passion. Yeah. yeah. But like, not just like, I don't even, don't want to talk about what I nerd out no, about. Yeah. I want to find out what like, no, other people, what do yeah. you nerd out about? Yeah. So getting back to, getting back to. <laughs> Isn't that why we all got into this industry anyway? <laughs> Nerd, nerding. nerd, oh, nerding. absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Third th- theater nerd. I mean, yes. it's yeah. it, it all depends on where you started nerding first, in terms of the theater thing, right? It's true. <clears throat> so, where did this collaboration start? How did that come about? Well, we apparently we went to school <laughs> together, and neither of us knew the other one. High school, college, no, no. university. We were both at York University, the theater studies program. Yeah, in were you in different years? No, no the, the same, same year. year. How were you in the same year? You didn't know it, that you were. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, is it, I was is in it my that own. big? No, no. It's it's like I don't even. Uh, it was very pocketed when we were there. Um, yeah, not clicky, but just you sort of hung out with the same people a lot. Sure. Um, yeah. And I was very much not the same person I am now. Um, so we were in the same year. We didn't know each other at all. No. And an actor that her company had hired had also worked with my company. Right. Okay. And I went to see a friend show that they were doing. Um, and we met. And I'm looking at her going, and I knew she'd gone to York. I'm like, hang on a minute. What year were you, were you at York? And she wouldn't tell me how old she was. And then she told me what high school she went to. And I have a lot of friends who were in the same year as her. So I guessed they were the exact same age. Well, actually, I think what she did say was (laughs) she was looking at me and she went, how old are you? And I I just kind of went, uh, you know, I mean, actors often don't say how old they are. Um, not that I'm ashamed, but uh, and then and then she's like, because I think I know how old you are. Oh, oh <laughs> and I listed oh. why I thought I knew. Um, she says because I completely already <clears throat> creeped out your Facebook profile. Yes. Yeah. What was? Can I ask what the friend show was? Yeah. Um. So it was six stories told at night. Uh, which uh, started off as actually an audio drama podcast, uh, which was written by Katie Brisky. Mm -hmm. um, And uh, that um, aired in, I think, 2016. So I did all the voice work for that. Um, And it went on to win uh, a Parsec Award, actually. Nice. For, I think, uh, Katie's better at this. Uh, It's for Best Novella Short Mm. Fiction. Anyway, we we won a Parsec. Um, And then uh, Katie adapted it for uh, The Fringe. Okay. Um, And it was uh, adapted as well to have three actors as opposed to just me. So I got to actually play with other actors, which is lovely. Yeah. yeah, so we did that. It went really well. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm exploring how to make that a touring show right now as well. Mm. So yeah. And so getting back to the mm-hmm. how the collaboration was born, when you figured out that you guys were in the same year. Well, we, oddly enough, we both left the program as well. Okay. So we started at the same time and we left at the same time. Oh shit, really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, and she went to off to U of A and yeah. I went to New York and we both sort of studied Meisner as well. Okay. So we had these odd parallels mm-hmm. happening mm-hmm. and then came back together this summer. And we also kind of both have theater companies and mm-hmm. we both are, you know, women producing theater, but also still, I mean, acting and directing and, yeah. and just we're going, oh my gosh, you understand mm-hmm. what my life is and my stress level is. <laughs> yeah. That's and we support. True. Um, yeah. So over like a series of very lengthy conversations and um, venting, I think, <laughs> yeah. we sort of realized that we could work really well together. Mm. Um, and she had pitched a play which we're doing in September. So I think the first time we're kind of like announcing we're doing it. Oh, like really that's also true. Oh, right. It's like an exclusive. <laughs> Stage ready scoop. Um, yeah, we, we're doing the Clockmaker. Mm-hmm. 
which is written by Stephen Massacott, who's a Canadian author. Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, actually, The Crow's Nest just did Mary's Wedding, mm-hmm. um, which mm-hmm. I'd done that show at the Toronto Fringe years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had a relationship with him. Uh, and so, yeah, we're just negotiating uh, contracts nice. right now to do that in September uh, in Toronto. So nice. um, we're really excited about that. But part of our conversations were really about how isolating theater is. Mm-hmm. And, and that's across the board, I think, whether you're an actor, producer, whatever you do. Yeah. Um, but the the more jobs you have, I find the more isolating it is because the less people really do all of the things that you do or like, um, and uh, being in Toronto is insular in a different way. And yeah. then being outside of Toronto is, is <clears throat> very isolating. Mm. Um, and we don't get to see each other's work. Was, Are you outside of Toronto? I am. Yeah. How far outside of Toronto? In Windsor. In, okay. Mm-hmm. Well, that, yeah. Okay. Mm. Um, and we, my company recently started touring. So last year we did an all female Henry five, which mm-hmm. we toured across Ontario. And it was mm-hmm. like the most indie of indie tours. <laughs> I know somebody who was in that. Probably. Uh, yeah. 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 Um, I remember seeing that. I was like, I didn't get to see that. Yeah. We were in Toronto for two days. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's started really mm-hmm. the, the journey of realizing how isolating Canadian theater can be mm-hmm. and how separate we all are from yeah. each other. Um, not only in, in collaborations, but also just we don't get to see each other's work and yeah. we don't get to talk about work that often. So that kind of started mm-hmm. us talking about, OK, how can we break that down more, mm-hmm. um, which led to us sort of committing to do two co-productions a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I happen to have Pregnancy Pact on the horizon. So yeah. this is our first co-production and then Clockmaker will be mm-hmm. our second for the year. Yeah, um, I think this one's a really great one to start off with, just because uh, for, for one, um it's uh, wearing so many different hats. Mm-hmm. It uh, can be extremely, <clears throat> extremely stressful. Um, so uh, I'm just producing on this one, which is great, or co-producing, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to also being in it, mm-hmm. which will not be the case for Clockmaker. <laughs> um, and Miriam's obviously directing. But uh, Gangway, um, our mandate is very much to look at Canadian uh, work, but also female-focused work. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we, we definitely like to dabble in the fantastical as well. Um and uh, look at stories and kind of spaces that are not always often heard from. And um, voices and voices. in particular that aren't all, like perspectives on stories yeah. that you don't get to hear. So Pregnancy Pact, uh, which I'll let Miriam describe it, but it definitely spoke to mm. a lot of what we're doing. So it seemed like a really good project to, to mm. trot out our newfound partnership. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Pregnancy Pact is a, a musical, which people are always very surprised by. They think like, how can this story possibly be a musical but it's um i don't know how many people would remember this and it took the world by storm in 2008 in gloucester massachusetts massachusetts there was um this story that came out of these 18 girls in high school who formed a pregnancy pact Mm -hmm. um and the nurses say that by may of that year there were over 150 pregnancy tests administered at the school um, there were 18 girls, all ranging sort of between the ages of 14 and 17, who were pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, now, whether that's the packed element of that is true or is up for debate. And the girls, a lot of the girls say no, and the nurses sort of waffle on that. The principal says yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but the writers of this show were really fascinated by that so the musical is inspired by the true story mm-hmm. and was used as a jumping off point to really gain access to these teenage voices and why 
on earth anybody would want to do that. Yeah. And why you would choose to be pregnant at the age of, you know, 15, 16. I think the oldest girl in the, the oldest character in the show is 17. Um, so really in that formative period of your life, why are you choosing mm -hmm. to give it up essentially and yeah. to give yourself over to this other tiny human that you made? Um, and then the music is, I, you know, I described it. I said it's a pop rock musical and everybody <laughs> just kind of rolls their eyes. But the music is really um, deeply empathetic. Like It's hard hitting. It's <clears throat> fun. <clears throat> it's um, motivating. It like it's really anthemic. A lot of the songs yeah. um, and it's a small cast. So it's seven. It's six girls, one man playing multiple characters. And then there's a live band as well. So it's. That's a, that there that's a, there's quite a lot of moving pieces to that. Yes, <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of moving pieces, and um, the musicians are incredibly talented, and we really lucked out with our cast. Um, we did an all student version of this in 2017, and three of the original cast members are now working in the industry. Mm. Um, Sam Burke, who's playing Maddie, just finished up Circle Game for um, Persephone. Yeah, yeah, Persephone. <clears throat> for yeah, uh, and they were on tour, and so she's just coming off that tour mm -hmm. and coming back home to Windsor. Um, and a lot of Toronto-based actors are coming down to do it. Like I think the mass, the majority of the actors are actually from Toronto, and the musicians are mostly from Windsor. So we're really just coalescing. How small can we make <clears throat> the division? Yeah. Um, and then we're having sort of a soft open in Windsor, and then we bring it up for a long run in Toronto. Wow. So with all these moving pieces, <laughs> yes. did you know what you were getting into when you <laughs> decided you were going to do this? I mean, it's not my first musical, thankfully. I think had it been my first musical, I would have just cried and quit. <laughs> um, but we've, I mean, the Edge Productions, this is our eighth, ninth year, eighth mm -hmm. season. Um, and we've done, we, I sort of, we opened with a musical. It wasn't. The company was never supposed to last longer than one show. I was home. <laughs> I just finished doing some regional theater and um, in England, and I came home, and some buddies of mine and I sort of put the company together to do yeah. one show while I was home, renewing a visa. Um, I met my husband at the same time, and so I ended up staying, mm -hmm. and this is our ninth year <clears throat> in business, which is crazy. But we started with Bear, which is a really big musical. It had 18 people in the cast and, like, a... 10-piece pit and it was just wild wow so trial by fire learned a ton went way over budget mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but then you i dialed back mm -hmm. and i started really trying to figure out which stories i wanted to tell and um why i wanted to do them and you know all the things they teach you in theater school that you sort of forget about and then sure. they come back and they're like mm -hmm. why are you still fighting this fight yeah um so in over the course of eight years i've realized i actually can do a range of things and I don't need to be scared of all the moving parts because I've been working for eight years. We've done four to six shows every year. Um, so I've slowly kind of figured out how to manage all of those. Mm -hmm. And last year, you know, I just advance and advance and advance. Last year, the, um, the tour of Henry five was 18 people on the road, just caravanning across Ontario. All of our stuff was in those cars. Um, it was completely, it was just a wild experience. We took it to like six cities and um, I did all of that. Just me and my house planned the whole thing, booked everything, rehearsed it and went mm -hmm. on the road. So crazy. Um, wow. It's the craziest project I've ever worked on. Mm. Um, and we edited 
Um, Molly, who was my assistant last year, we edited the text down from 49 characters or 48 characters to eight. Uh, sorry, to eight actors. So mm-hmm. they were eight actors playing 25 roles out of 49. It was just yeah. like the craziest thing. Mm. Um, so that, as stressful and as like soul wrenching as it was, taught me that I can do all of these other things. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't, let's just keep going. Mm. Um, and we had a sold out run on that tour, which mm-hmm. was the most surprising thing because you do, um, an arguably not very well-known Shakespeare, uh, history, <clears throat> a male military story with all women. Yeah. Only eight people in the cast. And you tour it to cities that none of us are from or work in. And we sold out. Huh. Which is like the nuttiest thing. So that gave me sort of the permission, I think, to go, okay, let's keep going. Let's keep pursuing more things. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then we reconnected after 12 years, 13 <laughs> years. Um, yeah. I think one thing that uh, it's a theme I've been sort of hearing, not like Miriam and I have talked about it as well, but um, just with so many other, particularly I think women mm-hmm. creators, um, is just that you have no idea what you are going to do until you actually do it. Mm-hmm. And just because something sounds impossible or kind of crazy uh, doesn't mean that it should stop you. And there's been so much of this idea of, I don't know how to do that. I guess I'll learn. I guess I'll find out. And yeah. there are days where you just feel awful, yeah. right? Like, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you're able to, you know, there's having such an amazing network of support around you, like, mm. I can, you know, like, you know, call Miriam and leave Miriam, today's the worst. Or, you know, and just feel so supported knowing that there is, everyone's going through it together, yeah. which is, I think, uh, a huge, huge help for sure. Yeah. I also think all artists feel that way. I think yeah. any medium, any um, any kind of work that they're doing, almost all artists I know sort of have an element of imposter syndrome that they carry around with them. And like an <coughs> element of, I don't really know what I'm doing. Yeah. I'm just... And people always ask me, like, how do you juggle all the balls that you do? And, like, I'm like, no, 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 I don't juggle. They're on the floor, and I kick them forward when they mm. come across my yeah. line of vision. And I just hope mm-hmm. that they all cross the line at some point. And if they don't, then I work with what did. Yeah. yeah. Um, and t- trying to take away some of that pressure that you have to. I think raw stories are more interesting to me. Like, I, something about polished theater has lots of positive qualities, but there's also something about just telling a story. I like things that have a bit of a rough edge to them. Mm-hmm. You know? like the, not everything has been smoothed away. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. I think that's more, it's, to me, um, <clears throat> it's more interesting storytelling. And I think there's a lot of artists who came up around the same time that we're all starting to kind of feel that way. Mm-hmm. Like, we grew up watching very worked, very perfected art, mm-hmm. and it's beautiful, and it's it takes a lot of skill and all of those things, but, like, there's not necessarily the honesty that we all crave. Yeah. And I didn't get into theater to create perfectly polished pieces of work. I, I got into theater to tell stories and to really find a moment of catharsis with anybody in the audience. And I yeah. think if there's one person who feels that way and can connect to the story you're telling and walks away with something, then we've done our job as artists. Mm-hmm. And the more people you can do that with, the better. But Arguably, if one person feels not alone or feels connected to a story or feels heard, then I think that's great. Mm. Imposter syndrome is an interesting thing. Because I think think that it it, it is something that everybody feels. Mm. And whether they admit it or not. Yeah. And it's one of those things that that is not often talked about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, we like to all seem like we've got all of our shit together. 
I'm actually a big fan uh, of because do you guys know the author Neil Gaiman? Yep. Yes, he talks about it all the time. Absolutely, like yeah. that he still feels like yep. with all of his success, you know. Yep. Everything that he's done, that he still feels like one, like they're going to come and mm, someone with a clip, clipboard is going to come and say, well, you're done now. We know that you're not <laughs> yeah, really a writer. Yeah. <clears throat> and to have him talk about it, that he still feels like he is yeah. not, that he has imposter th- syndrome, I think it, it kind of makes me a little bit more confident that I can at least talk. You know, okay, okay. I yeah. feel that too. I think that it's something, I feel like, this has been something so many people have been starting to talk more about mm-hmm. um, because we always talk about um, what we are doing, mm-hmm. not what we're not doing. Oh, sure. You mm-hmm. know, because who wants to talk about that? But I think that there is such such value in saying that, yeah, I I don't know. Today I watched YouTube videos today because I couldn't handle <laughs> You know, doing the myriad of things I was doing or, yeah. um, or you know, I, I wasn't really busy or something like that. Um, we'll always talk yeah. about, I've got this project and this project sure. and the, like just listing your resume essentially. Um, and it's even worse, you know, with things like, like Instagram, right? Um, I was actually just talking about this the other day <clears> because <throat> I was, you know, uh, I'm trying to figure out Instagram stories. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, no. I hate them. I'll just put that out there. I hate them because I feel like it. It put, I can't pre-plan them, and it has to happen like spontaneously. But then you have to add filters and boomerangs and it, it, oh my gosh! I think you're putting too much on it. But we could we, like that's that's like, a whole other thing. We no, can but, have. but, thing, but, but I was yeah. thinking. I was thinking. Yeah. So, but the, the point was that I was I was watching a bunch of people's Instagram yeah. stories like back to back to back, mm-hmm. dissecting them, I'm trying sure. to figure it out. But it actually in the end just made me feel. Horrible, mm-hmm. because I was like, their lives are so much better than mine. No, they're and not. I'm, I'm more curated. Exactly. That's the, thing, that's the thing is that is that Instagram is a place where we curate our lives. A hundred percent. Um, but when you're doing things uh, like promoting a show mm-hmm. um, or producing, um, that is one of those hats you do have to wear, Absolutely. and you do have to go out there and do it. Um, you know, but it's kind of go well. You know, does does someone really, uh, if they can't handle me on my worst day, they sure don't deserve my best day. But that is what you're doing um, in constantly, not just Instagram, but just in the industry as well. It's true. It's it's, it's always interesting to the 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 artist resistance to uh, promotion, mm-hmm. which yes. is a thing that you know we all have to learn how to do, but. It is difficult to say, okay, so now I have to talk about this thing that I'm doing and talk about it like it's awesome. When yeah. we, probably our, our inclination is, oh, it's, I'm just, it's just a thing. That I'm yeah. Doing. It's not a, I'm an imposter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't really exactly. deserve to be here. Yeah. Exactly. I'm not actually a real human. <laughs> I don't know if you remember, a few months ago, my husband took a contract out of town mm-hmm. and he was yeah. um, a production manager for like, I think he was gone for like seven weeks. We've got two kids. And I remember messaging Blythe. <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> because I just, I was still working and I was still doing a lot of stuff, but I wasn't as productive as I normally am because I had a lot more sort of hum- other human responsibilities mm-hmm. outside of my artist work. And I messaged Blythe in the middle of the night. I was like, you know, it would be really nice if you here because I just need to talk to somebody about how unproductive I'm being right now <laughs> and how much I've just shut down this yeah. whole other side of my brain. Mm-hmm. And I went and t- I like would send the occasional email and do all these other little things but really i just sat at home and played breath of the wild for <laughs> like weeks um and trying to explain that to people because they still see me being productive sure. because yeah. i can make it look like i'm being productive yeah. and me sending an email in the morning 
is technically productive. Yeah. And then yeah. I would spend four hours doing nothing. Listen, there are just days when <laughs> yes. you need to sit and play a video game. Or and weeks. I or or weeks. weeks. <laughs> you know, thank you for saying that. Thank you or for saying weeks. that. Because I've had that. Yeah. Or I'm just like, this project is too much. I need my brain to turn off yep. for yeah. a little bit so that I can actually come back to it. Absolutely. Yeah. But we don't like to talk about that because we all like to look like we're super productive and active and like, look how great we're doing. Sure. Yeah. Um, we literally, we're negotiating something <clears throat> right now with somebody who is um, really struggling and suddenly he, he's talking about it. Yeah. You know, and, and I've had a lot of artists who on their medical form, like we have a, when you work with us, we have a medical form. You have to fill out and tell us what's going mm -hmm. on with you. Nobody writes down anxiety, depression, any of mental illnesses other than um, sort of extreme ones. Nobody writes them down. No, because there's, we don't see them as a disease. There's shame about it. There's stigma. There's all that kind of stuff. But what happens in the room when you haven't told me mm -hmm. that you're a highly anxious person or you haven't told me that you struggle with depression on my worst day, I don't know how to filter for you. So it's really yep. interesting. The things that we leave out actually prove to be our largest liabilities mm -hmm. because we're all empathetic for the most part. We're all empathetic people. If you, if we all know what's going on, we can have a much better process and discussion and yeah. like we can be a lot more supportive, but we don't like disclosing these things. And it's really interesting how frequently we come up against that now. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, which is, I mean, this is how we bonded, though. It was just yeah. kind of saying, here's all my crap. Yeah. Do you have this okay. crap? Yes, I do. Okay, great. Let's work together. I, I think that I, I kind of wish that our the, the theater world had more opportunities to bond over, over bitching. Mm -hmm. Like, there's no place where we can go <laughs> yeah. where we could just sort of hang out together and just, like, be around each other and maybe bitch, maybe construct like all of these things mm -hmm. that i wish that we could do more yeah um i think that there are there i mean there are some <clears throat> some kind of groups i mean that you're able to just go and kind of uh network i mean like uh i think actually tonight there's work <laughs> no it's true but i think that i think that bringing that into like a work kind sure. of connotation um uh is is, is kind of cool i know as well like um like tapa they do have uh like seminars and stuff kind of working with um bringing sort of like mental health into sure. kind yeah. of the, the conversation so there are things out there but um <clears throat> but yeah i mean other than just the bar after uh rehearsal or show it'd be nice to have a space mm -hmm. to That's totally i mean the thing is like going to a networking event as an introvert i'm never going to do that mm -hmm. well it's very difficult and yeah. like i sort of have a timer on it so I can mm -hmm. be extroverted for a fair amount of time and I've trained myself to be mm -hmm. okay at it, mm -hmm. but it drops and it goes yeah. down. And once the buzzer goes in my brain, I kind of shut down. And mm -hmm. so I've had to learn how to do that, but not everybody has the opportunity or is even able to sort of force themselves past Some, that. Like I can sometimes get in the door, but it's the most awkward 15, mm -hmm. 20 minutes mm -hmm. before I'm like, I think I'm just going to get out of here. <laughs> so, like, it's not something that, that is really easy mm -hmm. to do. I think it's also kind of expectation. Um, I was chatting with someone in the summertime about <clears throat> sort of this thing because I was going, oh, you have to get out to all these events mm -hmm. and, and well, things like that. Blythe is the ultimate networker, by the way. Oh, yeah? She, okay. she <laughs> is like a forced extrovert, I, I assume. Uh, are you a natural extrovert? Or I would you... say I'm a natural one, but I think everyone has like a, a percentage of introvert, extrovert. Oh, sure. I definitely yeah. recharge from other people uh -huh. for sure okay. um and uh um but i mean i was i was actually really shy as a kid um but introvert and this is on my on my other podcast which yeah. is for introverts <laughs> we don't we we always like talk about like it's not that we're shy 
introverted isn't shy. Mm-hmm. It's how you get your energy recharged. Yeah. yeah no, but I, I actually was mm-hmm. shy. Yeah. Like, like I, I, I do recharge from other people a hundred percent until it's done. And then I need to go in a cave, but, <laughs> um, uh, but, uh, I was always afraid, though, um, mm. of how people would, would see me as, like, a, a little kid, but yeah. I was always very outgoing at home and stuff. So um, I think going into these kind of situations, um, I've always just gotten, well, just brazen it out. Mm. Uh, and uh, But I always want to watch out for other people. Or, like, I try anyway and make sure that I'm, like, I'm not comfortable fully if someone's standing over there looking really awkward. I want to kind of bring them mm. in because okay. it makes me feel better. But um I guess where I was kind of going with this was, was, uh, I was going, okay, so I have to get out to so many events, which is exhausting, uh, to kind of do that. Um, but someone said to me, they're like, look, you can just go to an opening night. You don't even have to talk to anyone. Your face was there. And the next time, you know, you might go, oh, hey, I recognize that person. They might recognize me. You didn't talk, but your face was there. Mm. And that was a huge revelation for me to not expend so much energy. Mm. Um, and also the idea of kind of like fear of missing out, um, mm. which I had on Thursday, actually, massively, <laughs> because I, I had to cancel with my friend to go see a show because mm. I got this audition that I needed to prep for. And I knew that I was doing a million other things in the weekend. So I said I wasn't going to go. Um, but it was, of course, like that night. I think it was like the Dear Evan Hansen <clears throat> premiere. Okay. It was the opening. Mm. And that's when I was watching all those Instagram stories going, I'm not cool at all. Because mm. I would have much rather been out with my sure. friend. But I also needed to recharge and actually work. So I think it's that balance as well of kind yeah. of what's work, what's not. And um, and balancing out your energies and what's going to be best for you and not feeling like you're not your... Um, you're not doing the right thing. Whatever mm-hmm. you're doing is best for you. <clears throat> I think it's difficult. That's a difficult thing for people to navigate sometimes. Yeah. What is best? I haven't figured it out. What is best for me as opposed to what do I think I should be doing? Yeah. I also think, um, and I'm sure other people have this, but I find artists in particular have a lot of blurred lines. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and everything sort of bleeds this way and that way. And, and it's really hard to tell, am I working right now or am I hanging out with my friend who happens to be in the same industry and we're talking about projects that we can do together? Because fun things also happen to be work a lot of the time. But, uh, I mean, if, if you are just hanging out with your friend um, trying to figure out what else you can work on, isn't that doesn't that serve both functions? It does, but that's exactly what I mean because sometimes... Like, I literally, there's a a good friend of mine, and every time we get together, it turns into a work session because we bounce ideas off Mm -hmm. each other very well. But a a casual hangout will turn Mm -hmm. into, like, a very deep work session, and we both leave totally exhausted. It's tiring. Mm -hmm. So we've had to actually sort of put limitations on what we're allowed to talk about when. Oh, shit, okay. But that's really difficult for me to do because always in my brain, I'm thinking about, oh, that's interesting, or, like, how can I convert that to this, and... Um, yeah, it's, it's tough. And my husband and I have that too, because we're both in the industry and both, Mm -hmm. and we run this company together and constantly talking about either kids or work is just, it's always bleeding everywhere. And we very rarely can manage to have like (laughs) two hours together where we don't talk about those things. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to shut that part off. Yeah. Mm. So it's interesting. And everybody I find really struggles with Absolutely. I think we all do trouble uh, struggle with, yeah. with with those kinds of boundaries. Absolutely. And I know, you know, in my day job, I work with people who are very passionate about the events industry. And so when they're hanging out after work, that's they what they're talk talking about, about, you know. And it's the same with all my theater friends. Mm-hmm. My theater people is like when we're 
even when we're not at the thing, we're talking about the thing. Mm -hmm. So it's just a, a constant. Although I do have some wonderful nerd friends, and so we will take a break from talking about nerding about theater to yes. nerding about comics, sci-fi, whatever, yeah. which is a great break, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I, I find my brothers serve that function the best mm -hmm. for me because n um, neither of them are in the industry at mm -hmm. all, and they're very dorky. So we have a great time. <laughs> we talk about movies and music and yeah. politics and nothing else. Nice. <laughs> yeah. I think everybody does need somebody they can do that with mm -hmm. so they can, they can talk about I'm trying to think now. theater Play a little risk. Yeah. Yeah. Try not to kill each other. Yeah. Listen, if you can get a bunch of people to go to, I don't know, like a board game cafe and mm -hmm. just be like... I love doing that, yeah. yeah. Because yeah. then you're, you know, you're doing a thing that, that you probably wouldn't do at home. You, know, yeah. you can go yeah, out, have a couple true. of drinks and, and discover a new game and yeah. things like that. You know? it's, <laughs> it's funny, because uh, uh, both my parents uh, were actors and my dad's a director. <laughs> so, I mean, I, uh, I grew up just always in that sort of environment. Mm -hmm. uh, so I feel like... <laughs> My life has always been just mm -hmm. the theater, and I grew up going like rehearsal halls and stuff. So I had this like weird sort of separation, but I also don't know how to separate that. I think because of that. Mm -hmm. So what was I mean? Just since that's that's the perfect segue for like one of my favorite things is to find out why people do this thing. <laughs> and your so your parents were in theater. Yeah, yeah. My parents. Um, uh, so uh, I was I was actually born um, in Edmonton, and my parents are from Ontario, but they. Mm -hmm. They uh, met in theater school um, mm -hmm. in uh, Alberta, and uh, I don't know. Yeah, I just they they were professional actors for like twenty five years, uh, and uh, out west, and then we moved here um, when I was a kid, and uh, my dad wanted to kind of film and stuff like that. Um, but uh, I don't know. I, I don't remember a time when I didn't want to be an actor mm. um now whether that was because that's what mommy and daddy did mm -hmm. so therefore i will as well but um we do have a video i think when i was like two um at our cottage where i'm uh <laughs> i'm running around on this deck and my mom says doing like a gregorian chant or something i don't know <laughs> oh my and my mom uh i i did tell her to get off my show this is my show and on the video i think my mom says blair I think this is the first time that she said this is her show. Mm. Um, so, uh, so yeah. But uh, I think probably my first gig was uh, I was 16 months old. And um, <laughs> my mom had an audition for a Lotto 64 commercial. Okay. Okay. And they said they needed a baby. So uh, she's like, I have one of those. And she had this, <laughs> when I was a baby, she, there was this thing that whenever a camera came out, I would look at the camera and smile. <laughs> so <laughs> it was instinct. Mm -hmm. And uh, so she brought me to the audition and they were like, no, no, we decided we're scrapping the baby bit. She's like, no, no, you have to see this. <laughs> so she baby. pulled the camera out and sure enough, I smiled, so they're like, she's hired. <laughs> so, because um, the reason they wanted it was because it was, uh, I've seen it, it's it's a night mm -hmm. shoot, and this um, UFO, which they put in post later, uh, comes down and says, Lotto 64, uh, and the baby has to look at it. But of course, it's like 10 o'clock at night, and right. I'm a 16 month old um, who's been on set for goodness knows so how long. Babies don't really sleep. 
It's a myth. <laughs> no, but this baby was very cranky and did not want to actually look and oh. smile at the camera that was on a crane coming down. So my dad actually had to go up like on the crane and be going, Bly! Oh, no. Here! And then they were getting very angry with the baby who was not performing professionally. <laughs> uh. <laughs> So, uh, but there hey, are new laws about using infants. Don't I know worry. you would have been protected. I would have been, but I wasn't at the time. Yeah. But hey, they paid me, and that went to my education fund. Uh, question for you: <laughs> yeah. Was there? Because you know, when you're a kid, and it's the thing that you want to do, did that ever change? Was there a moment when you were like, "Yes, this is what I'm going to do"? Did that waver at all through school? Um, yeah, actually. So my parents had always said to me, uh, "This is a really tough industry and tough job." If you don't want this to the exclusion of all else, mm -hmm. don't do it. In fact, if you can do something else, please do do it. Mm. Um, and so I'd always grown up with that. And I, and I always thought I knew exactly what it was. Mm -hmm. Like, I know it's hard. I know it's hard. I know it's hard. Um, uh, and when I was about 12, I sort of doubted for a second. I went, can I do this? I don't know. And because my parents had said that to me all the time, I immediately freaked out and said, I... I questioned it. I can't do it anymore. I'm going to go to my backup job oh. being a writer. Oh. <laughs> what a 12-year-old you were. Which is so much more stable. <laughs> um, so I, I decided for about a year that I wasn't going to act. Um, and it was an awful year. Mm. I really, really felt like I just cut off a piece of myself. Um, mm. And I was so disappointed. And I was like, well, that's, that's my life. It's just not going to be it. Um and so then when I was 13, I decided, nope, I missed it. Mm. I will be an actor. And and I just kind of didn't look back from there. Huh. Um, but I would say now, though, I, I would say when I was in my, I was in like my mid-20s, I, I definitely had a moment where I was going, this is really hard. Mm. You know, that, that fear I had when I was 12, it's happening now. And, um, and so I took a bit of a break. Um, and founded a history actor department at Black Creek Pioneer Village um, and decided this is kind of what I'm going to do. Um, but I had to come back and go, no, I, I do want to actually be pursuing acting all the time. So um, from what I've heard from other people as well, like it's a common thing oh, to sure. constantly be questioning and to take time off and to realize that it's okay to take time off and it's only going to further your art and yeah. um, stimulate it. You know, I mean, uh, I look at where I am now and I go, you know what? I'm still here. I'm still doing it. Yeah. And um, I've broadened my horizons to what I think being an actor is and being an artist is. And um, I'm a lot happier for doing that. So, uh, so yeah. I quit for five years in my twenties. Yeah. I was like, I'm not going to do this anymore. And I got myself uh, the first of my, my day jobs and and uh, just sort mm -hmm. of did that for a while and yeah. then, then I started yeah. trying to find balance. But you know, it's it, it, I think I think you're right. I think there I know a lot of people who I was in theater school with who don't do it anymore. Mm -hmm. yeah, you know, and that happens yeah. too. I think I just realized now, talking about this, that when I look at sort of like the my career, I guess mm -hmm. it's it's really just like a lifetime. But I realized I started working actually very young. Mm. So um, and I just kind of realized that right now that if you look at the sum total of kind of my career, it actually spans longer than I thought it did. But starting working at 16 months old. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, that's, not many people can say that, especially people who are still doing it. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, uh, yeah, anyway, that's me. <laughs> Miriam. Miriam, where did, where, how did you get into um, this? 
Um, well, according to my mother, I had excess energy and they put me in dance and I started sort of demanding more lessons and more things because I liked it so much. Um, but I was a very precocious kid, shall we say? Um, and there, I can't remember the talent thing is called. It's up in Toronto. Um, it's like a modeling and talent and something. Ford? No, no. it's older. Does it, does it exist anymore? <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea if it exists. So old, it doesn't exist. Um, but I was about 10 years old and I filled out the application by myself mm-hmm. and I mailed it in, but I had no check with it because I was <laughs> like 10. Yeah. Um, and my mom got a call saying, you know, you just, you left out your deposit check. If you could just send that to us. So I, <laughs> I mean, I think that the first show I ever did, I, I was young. I did Annie. Um, I played Duffy, you know, I you start in community theater and you do all the things that mm-hmm. most of us have done. Um, but I was a dancer primarily until, uh, I sent in this application and I won in like a commercial division and I got my first agent um, who is no longer with us. But he was like this hilarious crotchety old man um, <laughs> who was really excited because I had a resume that I had put together that nobody else had. Mm. Everybody was just giving him sort of portfolio shots. Um, and this like 10 year old kid had a resume that because right. I, I was that kind of strange kid. Um so I, but I always thought I was going to be a dancer actually, and um, failing to be a ballerina or a modern dancer, I was going to be a human rights lawyer or an environmentalist. Okay. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Those are sort of. Those the... are very different things from being a dancer. Yeah. Well, my <laughs> father's a lawyer, and so that was a very a path that I think made sense to a lot of people in my family. Um, and I grew up kind of going to the firm and hanging out and he would talk to me about cases and stuff like that. So that's why I'm good at theater contracts now. Okay. Um, it's helped a lot yeah. since starting a business. But um, yeah, my that was sort of like, this is a semi-reasonable path. And then mm-hmm. there's this other thing that I want to do. But if I fail, I'm capable of doing these other things. But every time I pictured any of these other things, yeah. I felt completely miserable. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you a question before we go on because mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's sort of a moment that you that you glossed over there in that, that early that early story. So you filled out this application. Oh yes, and you sent it in <laughs> yes. with no with, with no, no check, deposit. Yeah, and they called your mom. Yes, and your mom just said, "Oh, I'll send that along." Or was there? No, there was a discussion. There was a discussion. Um, she said, "Okay, thank you" to the person and. Um, and then we had to have a discussion about how I had to ask before I did these things. <laughs> um, and are you sure? And this is, you know, going to be really hard and you're going to mm-hmm. have to, there's all of these different competitions that you submitted for that you would have to do. You would have to write like part of the commercial audition was, uh, or commercial competition was you had to write your own script and like essentially perform a commercial live mm-hmm. for whatever topic they gave you. Right. Um, and I said, yes, I wanted to do these things. Okay. And um, I was really committed. The commercial, actually, of all things, there's, um, I literally wrote a little musical number um, and performed it as a commercial. And I, like, put in whatever the business thing was at the end of this little musical dance number. Mm-hmm. And I dressed up as a newsie and, like, you know, as a theatrical kid. Sure, yeah. <laughs> um, and I also discovered... Around the same time, like I think it was 11, and I discovered that 
dancing, you know, five, six days a week for many hours at a time. And I was dancing um, professionally at the time with a company in Detroit uh, as a child, but um, doing large scale ballets and stuff. And I discovered that I had chronic tendonitis. Okay. Uh, which I still have, lucky me. And um, my body had taken quite a beating before I even hit puberty. And so I came to a really devastating realization very young that the thing I thought I was going to do, I couldn't do. And so what ended up happening, um, I think I was 11 or 12, I started reading Shakespeare, of all things. Um, And I didn't understand a lot of it, but I read the entire canon. (laughs) And then my mom took me to... Stratford and I saw um, one of William Hutt's retirement tempests, mm-hmm. like the first of the series of retirement tempests yeah. that he did. Um, and I ended up, um, I was hosting this radio show at the time as like a very small child. And I used to, it's called Reach for the Stars. And I used to literally just interview people about how did you get to the career you're in and like what made you do that? And I was really fascinated with that. And so, I interviewed Richard Minette. Um, mm-hmm. I at eleven or twelve, I interviewed mm-hmm. Richard and um, had this really intense conversation with him about theater and what that is. And then I got to see Bill Hutt perform an incredible Prospero, and that is like the pillar performance that I compare all other Prospero's to. Is mm-hmm. that first one? Um, and it sort of changed my perspective, and I realized that that was a a form of storytelling that my body could do, and I could access Mm. um and then it sent me on a whole new trajectory and everything else kind of disappeared and um i also quit theater though after school um right after school yeah i i finished my conservatory program in new york um and it was a very overwhelming process Mm -hmm. to go through that school and um meisner is I th- <laughs> it's a complicated topic, Meisner. Uh, people love it. They hate it. They are interested. They're scared of it. But I went through an entirely Meisner-based program. Um, so all of my classes were rooted in that kind of view of mm. theater and of work and um, sort of really stripped bare and, like, forcing yourself into really uncomfortable places of honesty. And it, at the time, for me, there was a lot of stuff that I hadn't dealt with. Um and some really formative elements of my high school career that I had never even looked at that I just really shoved in a closet somewhere and they completely changed who I was. But in this process of two years of being at the school, they all sort of showed up mm-hmm. and they, they really broke me down. And mm-hmm. so by the time I graduated, um, I, I sort of blamed the work and I said, okay, well, this work is clearly not for me. And like, I can't, create theater because I'm this really screwed up person Mm. and like I can't cope and whatever well therapy hours later (laughs) I realized that oh at the root of all of these fears and all of these struggles is actually these few sort of elements of um that formed me as a person Mm. and so once I could pinpoint where everything else was coming from I could start to break that down and make work safe again and make it fun again Mm. and so after I think it was out for about a year, a year and a half, and it was the most miserable ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went to an audition for Neil Simon's Chapter 2, and um, I was doing a cold read, and all of a sudden all the training made sense to me, and it all clicked into my body, and um, and I had complete access. And all of the rest of that 
crap that I'd been carrying around with me sort of fell into its place. Um, And so then I didn't want to quit anymore. (laughs) And I reintegrated myself into the world. And after that, I went to uh, RADA. That's when I went to England. was like, I had this epiphany. I did a couple of shows and then I moved. Um, Yeah, but it's, I don't know. It's really interesting because people often the question you get is like, well, do you regret not dealing with that stuff before? Like, do you regret doing these things or any of these choices? Well, no, because ultimately it gave me a level of understanding Mm -hmm. of any kind of work that I want to do that I never would have had otherwise. Um, and those struggles I think make me far more empathetic and far more, um, I can see other people processing their issues during the work and I can help them now Mm. in a way that, I would have been very dismissive of before, I think. Sure. I wasn't nearly as good a person as I am now. Um, well, it's good that you can admit that now. Oh, 100%. If you, you know, I'm glad a little bit that Blythe doesn't remember me <laughs> when we were in school. I was not a great person back then. But I was, I mean, in retrospect, you look at that and you go, oh, you had PTSD and you're struggling with depression and you had all of these things happen to you right before you graduated mm-hmm. high school and, like, moved away. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's but it's very interesting. And, like, people I knew back then, they meet me now, and they go, oh, you're not the same person. I'm like, well, I should hope not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One question that I have hearing your story about, because you know, being so focused on dance mm. and then not being able to do that and deciding to go into acting, mm-hmm. what was that transition like? Was that a difficult transition to go from dance to theater? Did you f- miss dance over theater or...? I mean, I I still miss dance, honestly. Yeah. Um, no, I think I, f- I found my home very much. Like, f- I'm happy where I landed. But at the time, my biggest fear about it was I had um, a mentor who was a Romanian ballet master, and he was this really incredible person. Um, and he- I was really terrified to tell him. You know, and this is prepubescent mm. child. Like, you shouldn't be struggling with these things at that age. But I was really terrified to tell him that, like, my body can't do what you've trained me to do. And I'm going to go into this other medium because it hits all of these same sort of home notes for me. Um, and I went to his house and I had dinner with him. And this was in Detroit. Um, and sort of broke the news to this man that I really admired. And he told me that um, it didn't matter what I went into as long as I gave it a hundred percent and I um, dedicated myself wholly to it, then he would approve no matter what. And Mm. it was this weird sort of release of all of the fear and tension I'd been holding on to about making that transition. Um, And I, I mean, I still danced, I still took lessons and stuff, but I, have shin splints that have never gone away. I have chronic tendonitis. My right. hips are like the craziest. There's nothing good that my body took from dance mm-hmm. other than discipline, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and it helped me along the way. But yeah, yeah, that first, the first few years were really um, difficult. I think I went from dancing six days a week for hours at a time to maybe a couple classes a week in school Um it's it's terrifying Mm. and i know people who i'm lucky honestly that i made that transition very early i know people who um a dear friend of mine is was a ballerina um and she tore her acl twice and then her career was over Mm. and she had nothing else that she could do because she'd never and that's like i think that's the fear for all of us like if your body gives out on you and that's your instrument 
what do you do? And yeah. she had never seen or looked at anything else. She That's her sole focus. Um, so now she teaches, but that's a really scary thing for a yeah. lot of people as well. Yeah. Um, so I'm lucky, I think, in a lot mm-hmm. of ways that all of that happened so young. And I had all of these sort of horrible things happen really young. Like all, you know, I was finished in New York before I was 22. Mm. So all of these things and all these really formative decisions were made very young. And then I've had all this time to then adjust and like grow up Mm. into those choices Um, and look back and sort of analyze all of those things and um, get more comfortable, I think, with who I am now and like yeah. how to work mm-hmm. as a, as a person who has made <laughs> really just decisions quite young. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. One of the things that I, I found interesting about, about your partnership is, is you guys have a distance, mm-hmm. like a physical distance. Yes. You're in Windsor, mm-hmm. you're in Toronto. Um, how do you guys navigate that distance? Now, of course, you know, we have Skype and computers and things like that, but there's something about, being in the same room with somebody there what's is. the what's how do you guys navigate the distance between you well, to I'm, create theater i'm going to windsor tonight <laughs> <Okay. Yeah. laughs> it's a big old road trip and i'm gonna i'm gonna be there till thursday um which is gonna be actually fantastic to just have that kind of real time um I don't know. I mean, we haven't talked about that. Uh, uh, <laughs> well, I find we both go back and forth. And yeah. we, technology is our best friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I find delegating to each other and like sort of splitting the workload in terms yeah. of the administrative stuff mm-hmm. is very helpful. Um, I think actually on that, one of the huge things is that because of where we are, I think, in, in our careers and just like our experience levels, um, we also trust that the other person is going to do um, <laughs> what they say, what they're, going they say they're going to do, which mm-hmm. um, is not always the case. And so when you have, you know, partnerships, um, uh, like uh, like the other half of Gangway, I mean, um, Katie, she is also someone that I know that she's going to get it done, right? Mm. Um, and uh, so I think that's a huge thing. It's just there's a level of trust that mm-hmm. I also know that um, that Miriam's also going to be like the same level that I am, that I'm not going to have to, you know, figure things out. Mm-hmm. And Yeah, we even if we well, we also are very good communicators with each yeah. other, um, which is I think most problems stem from lack of communication yeah. and like people being ashamed. Oh, I didn't get to this. And mm-hmm. then instead of saying I didn't get to this, they hide it, which yeah. mm-hmm. puts you even further behind. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't really do that. But like as an example, um, we were submitting the show on Tapa. For, we were submitting Pregnancy Pack, and she opened the file and she started populating it. And then she sent it to like mm-hmm. sent me the login, and I logged in on my computer and I filled out what I knew, and we just. Mm-hmm. literally are mm-hmm. sharing the same file um or the same form and like bouncing back and forth yep. and saving it and sending it and yep. so it's like the longest game of ping pong you'll ever see <laughs> <laughs> no it's true it's true mm. um yeah and i think that uh also just on that like communication is so key and i think mm-hmm. that there's also things that's like not being afraid to say i don't know the answer to this mm-hmm. um do you know the answer and okay and it, it's just very quick yeah. Um, yeah we also tend to think very similarly um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah the, the friend i had mentioned earlier the actor that has worked with both of us finds it very eerie that we're now friends but also that we're very similar in terms of how we talk about things and um our outlook on certain elements of theater and I think it perturbs him a little bit yeah definitely but um <laughs> it's 
it's helpful though when you know that you're fairly in sync with somebody yeah. mm-hmm. and even if you're not you can have a discussion around it and I don't think there's any fear in our relationship and I very often in collaborations there is fear um from for whatever reason either distrust or just fear that the other person doesn't respect you the same way or intimidation intimidation mm-hmm. or whatever and we I think because we have similar stories in a lot of ways don't mm-hmm. have any of that we're very much on the mm-hmm. same mm-hmm. playing field um, I think also, um, we, uh, there isn't like a codependency either, no. mm. you know, like, um, so it does feel like we are on like the, like you said, the same playing field, like we're, we're equals, um, which is really nice. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've got my stuff going on and Miriam's got her stuff going on and knowing a hundred percent that, um, if I need support on something mm. that's even not like necessarily like a show we're producing together but if i have a question i know for sure i could just mm. ask her um yeah. so i think that that's a huge thing as well is is um being able to work together but also not be codependent yeah mm. well we both run companies independently as well yeah. like our our co-pros are really two companies coming together um and they're two completely independently functioning companies so it's interesting where we overlap and where we don't mm. and I mean, we both can put up shows on our own, and we do that all the time anyway. But then we get Miriam to- more than me. She's well. like more experienced. <laughs> I'm just gonna learn. No, you know what it is. I can't not work, yeah. so I'm perpetually working all mm-hmm. the time, um, much to the chagrin of my entire family, I'm sure. But I like am always, always, always have a project going on because I turn into a not very nice person when I'm not feeling inspired or when I'm not mm. working on something creative. Mm. Um, Absolutely. I can, I definitely relate to that. If I don't yeah. have a writing project or something mm. that, that is at least on the back burner, mm. yep. I don't know what to do with myself. Absolutely. Mm. And I find that I get a little aggressive about it and I have a, <laughs> a time to be honest yeah. on, a, yeah. on a public discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, no, but I, I do. I find I'm not as nice of a person. I'm not very, because I think it causes me to struggle with my sense of self mm. a lot more than it maybe should. Um, and so because that struggle exists, if I'm not working, I'm less kind mm. and I'm less mm. able to cope with the world around me. Mm. Um, because it takes like a, such a specific part of myself to create work that it, it like sort of alleviates the pressure on all these other elements mm. of myself. Sure. I have a question. <laughs> okay. Let's do it. Yeah. It's all coming out now. <laughs> no, well, uh, and this could be, actually be for for either of you. Um, because uh, writing and directing, so are much more sometimes. Um, there's an aspect of it that is like solo, right? Like you need mm-hmm. to kind of go in and plan things out, it's very isolating. and it's you know. Whereas, uh, you know, for, as an actor, that's completely collaborative right mm-hmm. so like f- for me i guess running uh, being a producer and then also running a company um it gets really hard for me because if i'm doing a show i'm i'm in a sh- i'm in a show i'm in a rehearsal and i'm not it's not going to be as easy for me to actually kind of run all those aspects but for being writing and directing that kind of does dovetail a bit more so i just kind of wonder um juggling projects when they're all sort of kind of a little more cerebral sometimes. Mm. How does that work for you guys? Oh boy. Um, <clears throat> well, like I said, I don't juggle. They're all on the floor. Right. <laughs> I think Sorry. that's the most important lesson is that mm-hmm. they're just on the ground and you just kick them forward. No, I find um, writing, I think would be 
very isolating in one way. I write a little. I would never call myself a writer. Um, but directing is directing and being the artistic director. Artistic director um, is more isolating than I expected it to mm. be, because as the director, the buck stops with you anyway. But when you're also everybody's boss on top of that, um, and I'm the one who negotiates their contracts, I'm the one who is employing literally everybody in the room. Mm -hmm. Not only does the buck stop with me as the director, but then I'm also the owner of the boat that we're on. And so I have Mm -hmm. to steer the boat, but I also have to make sure that all the bills are paid and all these other things. Um, It's exhausting. I would say is the best word for it and can be overwhelming. Um, I've gotten better at it over the years and I'm very thankful that I got better at it. Um, but I used to just, it was extremely overwhelming, especially in the first few years. And then I had kids mm-hmm. on top of that, mm-hmm. um, which is a whole other mm-hmm. thing. And so um, you just kind of figure it out as you go. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's true of any kind of creation, but I think that's true of life. I yeah. think mm-hmm. as human beings, we literally are improving our entire lives. Mm-hmm. And you can plan all you want, but ultimately every conversation you have, every choice you make is on the fly. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I'm a big fan of time boxing. Mm. Um, time boxing? Time boxing. <laughs> what <laughs> is that? You get your calendar and you literally, like you say, so this is the time period where I'm writing. Mm. This is the time period where I'm working on production stuff. This is the time. And you actually put all of these things in your calendar because if it's in your calendar, you do it. Mm-hmm. I started doing that. Yeah, I didn't know right? it had a name, it though. It has a name. Yeah. This is magic. And, and it, it's an, it, it's very much a getting things done mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. And I find it super helpful um, on days when I'm like, okay, so I have to write. I have to get my promotional images for my Fringe show. I have to. I also have to edit a podcast, like all these things. Mm-hmm. I, it's, I time box the, my evenings. Mm-hmm. Um, also, if I'm, if I'm writing... And it starts to get painful. I take a break. Yeah, you know, mm. taking a break, whether it's working on a new project, like just like I just need to write this short story just to get my brain in a different mm-hmm. place, or even less cerebrally active. I need to play a video game for a good three hours. Then mm. I'll do that right. too. Yeah, I also find I'm a big list maker. Um, and I was at this producers conference in New York uh, in November, and one of the things that Ken Davenport was saying was that he has he writes like call to action lists. And I'm like, I do that. I do that. Because basically what you do, you just write down everything that needs to be done. And Mm -hmm. some people are really organized and they group it together. I just sort of write everything that comes to my head. And then Mm -hmm. I put little stars next to like the priority items on Mm -hmm. my list. Um, Started doing that too. I didn't know all these things had names. (laughs) Um, And what I find is it grows. But as you cross stuff Mm -hmm. off, it's very satisfying. And so it motivates me to do more things. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I also front load mm-hmm. as much as I can. Right. Yep. Like Me if too. I'm doing, if I'm doing, uh, like I have, I'm going to be doing my show that's run a fringe this summer. And so now comes the process of creating any promotional images, like the base images mm-hmm. that I will then slap things on. Like if there's a review, if there's this, if there's that, mm-hmm. but I have to get all of that work done at the beginning. Cause when I become an actor, I don't have time for that. Mm-hmm. But then during production, like when the show's going on, I'm like I have this, I have an image ready for this. I don't have to think about mm. it. Everything is ready for me. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. It's interesting. I think about this idea of constantly being busy and constantly creating yeah. and stuff. And uh, um, I, I get itchy if I do too many producery things. Mm. I start to go because uh, I, I definitely feel like I look at myself as like a producer actor. 
which I think is a different beast than like a producer, writer or actor mm-hmm. or producer, director. Um, I also find it interesting that you say producer, actor. Most actors I know would have said actor, producer. That, I actually noticed that too. I feel I like yesterday I, feel like... I said actor, producer. Mm-hmm. Guys, I switch it up. Okay. <laughs> it, it depends. Today my, it's my producer brain is mm-hmm. going, whereas mm-hmm. uh, other times there might be something else. Like it'll be interesting because like when we do Clockmaker, um, it's a co-pro between our companies, but Miriam is the director. Yeah. And so that for me becomes very much like the director is the person who's in charge. Mm-hmm. However, having that sort of duality. Mm-hmm. We'll come back on and we'll let you know how we're yeah, working please. together then. <laughs> please. I'm, I, I want to do that. Because our relationship will completely change yeah. with that project. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see yeah. how, if it does stay the same or if it's yeah. going to completely shift on us. Yeah. We'll have to like do journals. <laughs> You guys should. You guys should. There's your Instagram story right there. Oh, don't even say the word Instagram story. I'm like getting hives. Oh my god. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. It's okay. I'll survive. Guys, thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. This has been a Homebody Productions production.